You know, as I was sitting there listening to them sing so sweetly, I couldn't help but think back to the day when Myrtle was first born. And uh, what a sweet little baby she was. And here she is, and the time's gone by so quick. She's grown up tall and beautiful and singing now with her, her mother, who hasn't aged a day. Well, open your Bible, please, to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at this amazing story. Matthew chapter 20. <clears throat> now the Lord gave this as a parable. And a parable, I guess the easiest explanation, and I didn't come up with it, I wish I had it, I kind of like it, but it's a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And it's something very familiar to the, the audience very familiar on earth, a story in order to illustrate something that God has a truth, a heavenly truth for them. Now in this case, I believe that it has to do with salvation. I think that that is the, the main teaching here. But I'd like to uh, look at this uh, from another angle. Uh, in keeping with the context, I'd like to look at this today and talk with you about the 11th hour. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pause now and ask that you would please be very near to us and teach our hearts. We learned earlier that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. Father, please, we ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher today and absolutely lead us into all truth. Lord, if there be one here today or more, one or two or more that do not really know you as Heavenly Father, and cannot really call Jesus Savior, and do not know for sure, for sure, that if they died today, that they would absolutely be in heaven. There's doubt, there's question marks in their minds. Lord, I pray that you'd give them the answer. Lord, there are so many people in the world trying to figure out heaven. We may have some here today. Lord, bless them, I pray. Holy Spirit, help them to see that heaven comes through Jesus. Now help us to learn and grow today and to be stronger in our faith and our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've got an amazing story here of a man who's a, a farmer, and uh, he's called a householder in verse 1. And so it's um, time to harvest the grapes. He's got a vineyard, quite extensive one too because he needs a lot of workers to go in there and harvest the grapes. If all you had was a little five foot by five foot, you know, just you and your son, you know, or even just you, if your son doesn't want to, you can go in and harvest that, no problem. But uh, uh, grape growers were uh, big business back then as they are today, with huge expansive fields, and they went to a lot of work and trouble, putting in these vines and caring for them, pruning them just right, putting up walls to try and keep the little foxes out from spoiling the vines. Um, they'd have to watch over them as the grapes grow. And there's a lot of experience required to be uh, a good grape grower to really work that business. It's not as easy as it looks. And the, uh, the, the farmer here, the husbandman, must really know his grapes the variety of grapes that he's working with and uh, what they're temperamental to as far as disease and heat and cold and the seasons of the year. Now, 
in Israel back in Jesus' day, it would have been the July-August months. That would have been uh, the proper time to harvest grapes. And so this pretty hot time of year. It sure is around here, isn't it? Which, by the way, one of the things we want to help use the Sacrifice Sunday for is to put in a little more air conditioning here for when it really gets drippy, sweaty hot in July and August. But also these machines will help provide heat for us so we don't have to use that great big antique up there in the ceiling there. It's so loud. It does heat the building, but you can't hear yourself think when it comes on. And so these, these are the way to go. Anyhow, back in Jesus' day in July or August, that's when they needed a lot of workers to come and to help harvest the grapes. And they don't have a whole lot of time to do it. It has to be done. I'm not a grape grower, but I've done a little research. And as I understand, the best time to harvest the, uh, the grapes is when they're, they're full with juice and sweet. There's this crescendo, you know, in sweetness. And it doesn't stay there very long, and then it drops off. Something else I didn't know, but I learned, is that when you buy grapes, um, don't wash them. Put them in the fridge, and they'll last a couple of weeks. As soon as you wash them, they start ripening fast. So when you're ready to eat them, then you wash them. Now, I just learned that. How many already knew that? Can I see your hand? A couple. How many didn't know that? You just learned that. Ah, I don't feel so bad. Okay, you see, we learn something together. So keep that in mind next time you buy grapes from the store. Bring them home. I would just think, wash the the little suckers and throw them in the fridge. But apparently that's not what you do. So when it comes time to uh, pick the grapes, the, uh, the expert farmer would know what to look for. He would look at the grapes according to the color, to the feel of the grape in his hand, to the taste of the grape, but he'd also... Note when the birds came and started to eat the grapes because the birds somehow know when they're re- the grapes are ready to be harvested. And so that's when they come. So when the birds start coming, you know it's time to harvest those grapes. And so that's why the farmer went out into the marketplace and he went out there early. Now their work day would start at 6 in the morning and it would finish at 6 at night. That's a 12-hour work day. Now some of you work that kind of work shift. You work maybe as a nurse or in the medical profession and often you've got to work these 12-hour days. And so that's what they had to do back then. Only they would have had to do it maybe five or six days a week. That was common back then. Uh, Things have changed a bit, haven't they? And so to get up early means that he got up before six. That's what it says here. He got up early and he went into the, the the town uh, market there, and he found some workers. And verse 2 says, he bargained with them for a penny a day. Now, none of us would ever agree to that. A penny a day? What are you, nuts? That was the working man's wage back then, a penny. A penny could buy more back then than it could today. And uh, so he agreed with these fellows. They were going to work 12 hours, and he was going to give them a penny. And they figured that was a decent wage. And they shook hands or whatever they did, and so off they went out to work. And then he comes back three hours later at 9 o'clock. That's the third hour. Because remember, they start counting at 6 in the morning. So at 9 o'clock, he goes back and he sees others standing idle in the marketplace in verse 3. They're standing around. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Say, so why didn't they haggle and bargain? Because they didn't get there in time, did they? Maybe they slept in. I don't know. 
But uh, they went off, and they said, okay, boss, and they went off. Verse uh, 5, he comes back at the sixth hour. What time would that be? What time would the sixth hour be? 12 o'clock. Because you start at 6 in the morning, and you add 6. 6 and 6 is 12 o'clock. And um, the ninth hour, what time would that be? 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And he did likewise. Verse 6, and about the 11th hour, what time would that be? Say it loud. Five. Five. Yeah, there's only one hour left of the workday. Now, even though the sun didn't go down till about 7.30, quarter to 8 uh, in Israel at about that time, still, 6 o'clock, that was, that was the end of the, you know, the whistle whoo, blew. No, it didn't. But, uh, you know, they all took their lunch pails and they went home. It was the end of the, the workday. Actually, they got paid before they went home. And um, the point I want to make here is uh, that even at the 11th hour, at 5 in the afternoon, there was only one hour left. There was still time to harvest fruit and get paid for it. Let me say that again. At the 11th hour, only one hour left to work. There was still time to go out into that vineyard and get busy and harvest fruit and get paid for it. That's the point I want to make here. Now, the farmer, the husbandman, went out back to the marketplace, the same marketplace that he was there at 6 in the morning and 9 in the morning and 12 at uh, noon and 3 and so on, and he still found people there. He still found able-bodied workers. You know, I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes I'm driving up to a light and I see an able-bodied young man who looks fit as a fiddle. And he's got this sign saying, oh, I'm homeless, I'm hungry, please give me anything. The guy is strong enough to hold a sign and, you know, he can walk a straight line and back and forth. And he, some of them, you know, in the summertime, anyhow, you can see they got some, some beef and some muscle. They're able-bodied. And I think that not everyone that holds a sign really needs to. I think there are some people that just love to be on welfare. They just don't want to work. They don't want to hold down a job and do something responsible. You know, folks, there's nothing wrong with work. Good work and hard work, too. It's of the Lord. Go back and read Genesis. It's God's will for our lives to be workers. You'll find it to be God's will for men. And if you go to Proverbs and read about the virtuous woman, you'll find it to be God's will for virtuous women, too. Now, I'm not saying crazy, out-of-your-mind, slave-driven kind of labor. I'm just saying good hard work. There's nothing wrong with good hard work. It's of the Lord. And God blesses good hard work. And so here are some people that show up late. How late? Oh man, 11 out of the 12 hours were gone. And they show up there in the marketplace. And the farmer, still needing help, sees them and says, do you want to work? And obviously they said yes. <clears throat> he said, go off into my vineyard and, and work, and I'll pay you whatever is right. Sure. Okay, what else are we going to do? So they went. Now, they could have said no. They could have said, no, you know what? There's only an hour left. We're just going to go down to Tim Hortons here. They, they could have said, no, we're going to go back home. No, we're just here just to goof off. No, whatever, whatever, whatever. But they went and they worked. It was the 11th hour, and there was still time to go into the harvest fields, and there was still time to work for the Lord and get paid for it. And that's my point here. Now, these workers at the 11th hour, we'll call them the 11th hour workers, okay? 
That's who we're talking about, the 11th hour workers. They fall into two categories. There are the late comers and there are the late bloomers. And there's a difference between the two. Now, I can't say this for sure, for sure, but I kind of think that some of those 11th hour workers were late bloomers and some of them were just late comers. Now, there's a difference between those two terms. What is a late comer? What is a late bloomer? Well, a late comer is someone who knows about the work. They know about the work. They know when it happens. They know how to do the work, but they're tardy. They're preoccupied. They come late. They come late. Now, if you hold down a job, maybe you're supposed to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning or 7 in the morning, or maybe you work some kind of shift, rotating shift work or something, but there's a certain time that you need to be at work. You can be at work a little early, but what happens if you come in a little bit late? Usually, doesn't the manager or the boss come to you and say, uh, what happened here? You're, you're late. And then you say, well, you know, the dog usually wakes me up in the morning and the dog overslept. So that's why I'm late. And then the boss might say, okay, all right, we'll let it go this time. But then the next day, you come in late again. Now what does the manager or the boss have to say? Is it the dog? Was it the dog? Is it your dog? And you say, no, 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 it wasn't the dog, but, you know, I, I got up on time, but you know this, the news came on. And boy, I was listening to this news article, it was about world events, and I just lost track of the time. And so I'm late. I'm sorry, it'll never happen again. And the, the boss might say, well, you better make sure it never happens again. And so the next day, you're late again. Now what might the boss say? Come into my office. If you're habitually late, you don't show up on time for your shift, the boss is going to have to reprimand you somehow. There's going to have to be some kind of consequence. Even if it means termination, you're out on the street. Now, these people should have been there earlier. They showed up late. So in that crowd, that I don't know how many there were, but the, the last little flock of people there that he sent into his vineyard, some of them must have been latecomers. They knew about the work. They said, yeah, it's about time, that time of year for the grape harvest. Yep. And uh, that old uh, Mr. Farmer Brown there, he's going to be in the uh, market at 6 o'clock. Yep, yep. They know about the work. They know how to do the work. But they're preoccupied. Okay? They're just late. They're latecomers. Now, that's a latecomer. A late bloomer is different. A late bloomer doesn't know about the work. A late bloomer doesn't realize the time when the work is starting. The late bloomer may not even know how to do the work. <clears throat> That's the late bloomer. But at some point, the late bloomer's eyes open up and they say, Whoa, I don't want to miss this boat. Oh man, yeah, listen, if there's even one hour left, man, you count on me. The late bloomer. Let me give you a couple of examples of late bloomers. By the way, there's no shame in being a, a late bloomer. I just want you to know that. But there was a Japanese man, I don't know if you've ever heard of his name, Soikiro Honda. When he was 42 years old, an old man, right? 42 is old, right? Oh, 42. 
That's when he started his little company. And he managed to mount a gasoline engine to a bicycle. And all of a sudden, he had motorized transportation. And he sold it. And he made another one. And he sold that. And 10 years later, he was the largest manufacturer of motorcycles. Uh, not maybe quite in the world, but at least in that part of the world. And he's just gone on from there. Soikiro Honda. Try to remember his name, or his, at least his last name, because he was a late bloomer. I'll tell you another man who was a late bloomer. He was a salesman. He uh, used to sell, uh, matter of fact, he got a little company uh, selling mixers for milkshakes and things. And that thing, the company didn't really go gangbusters, and he could see that there was an end coming to his company. But then he heard about a couple of guys that had a restaurant. And to make a long story short, he made a deal with them to use their name. And there were two brothers, and their last name was McDonald. And so this fellow, whose name was Ray Kroc, K-R-O-C, Ray Kroc, that was his name, he set up a business called McDonald's. He was 52. If you thought that Mr. Honda was old, Ray Kroc was 52. That's very, very old. I'm not sure people get much older. 52. He was a late bloomer. I'll tell you one more late bloomer. And this man, he was, um, uh, he got fired from several jobs. He had just turned 65 and he got his first pension check. And it was just a tiny little pension check from the government. And he figured he wasn't going to just sit around and do nothing. The only thing that he had that was any good was a recipe for chicken. So, maybe you've heard of this fellow. What's his name? Colonel Sanders. And he was 65. Can you believe that? 65 years old. Well, he was a late bloomer. Yeah. He didn't do so bad, did he? It, there's no shame in being a late bloomer. Listen, I consider myself a little bit of a late bloomer. I do. But I know this. I know that God is able to put you on the fast track. If you're a late bloomer and you're figuring, oh, I don't know how to win souls. I don't know how to serve the Lord. Wake up, late bloomer. Get on, get on the bandwagon. It's the 11th hour, but there's still time to go into the Lord's vineyards and to reap fruit and get paid for it. There's still time, late bloomer, because God can put you on the fast track. And I've seen Him do it in my own life. And He's done it spiritually. He's put me on the fast track spiritually. He's put me on a fast track financially. And by the way, don't take that to any uh, extremes there. I'm not a, a millionaire by any stretch. But, <laughs> boy, was I ever off the table at one point financially. And God's put me on the fast track financially. And God's put me on the fast track in my ministry, in my, my, my job, my ministry, my calling. I know that God does it. I know he can do it. If you consider yourself a little bit of a late bloomer, whether you're maybe uh, 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 20 or, or whether you're 60, it, it doesn't matter. Join the club. It's the 11th hour. That's what we're saying. 
And the Father is still inviting us to work for Him and to serve Him, to reap fruit for His glory and to get paid for it. That's a pretty good deal if you ask me. That's a good deal. Well, maybe you're um, a late bloomer or perhaps you're a late bloomer in the making. How about that? I'm not even sure what that is. But maybe you've been wasting your Christian life the months and weeks and days and the years. Maybe you haven't yet begun to bloom. Maybe you're not even sure you need to see, that you see the need to bloom. And why is this? Why is it that some people don't even see the need to bloom for the Lord? Well, some people, I think, think that it's good enough just to try and live a holy life and go to church. Um, but listen, holiness is no good unless it does something. Holiness has to do something. Otherwise, it's no good. Bible says, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving who? Your own selves. Right? Be ye doers of the word. A holy life must be tested and tried and put to good use. It's like when you buy milk, and you go to the fridge and you open it up. First, you might want to smell it to see if it smells all right. And then you might want to taste it to see if it tastes all right, and then you'll pour it on your cereal. I've had it happen to me where I've taken milk or cream that had gone sour and I didn't know it, and I've put it in my coffee. And then you know what happens when you put sour cream in, in your coffee? It doesn't look very nice, does it? It, it? I don't even want to use any adjectives that come to mind. It, it's just something that, oh no, and down the drain it goes. And then you start fresh. But holiness is something like that. Some late bloomers think it's good enough just to be married. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm married. That's good. Well, I, I'll tell you, you know, many a good godly life has been stopped by marriage. Uh, some people think it's good enough to uh, have children and try and bring up children. And listen, that marriage is good. Bringing up children is great. But listen, what happens if you turn out a child and he's like Cain of the Bible and he murders his brother Abel. What happens if you turn out a child like Judas and he betrays the Lord? What happens if you turn out a child like Adolf Hitler? Someone had to be his parents, right? Somebody was guilty. Bad little tongue-in-cheek, bad, bad humor there, but you get the idea. Bringing forth children is great, but it's not good enough. Being married is great, but it's not good enough. Trying to live a holy life and go to church is great. It's great, but it's not good enough. We're to be doers of the word. It's the 11th hour. Some people think it's, it's good enough to accumulate wealth. Nothing wrong with accumulating wealth, but use it for the Lord. We've got a number of Bible examples of men that never did that. Nabal in the Old Testament was a wealthy man. And if you know anything about his life, it did not end well. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus told us the story of a rich man. Remember the rich man in Lazarus? That was not a parable. That was a real story that happened. We're given Lazarus' name, but we weren't given the rich man's name, quite possibly because he may have had living relatives in the audience when Jesus was telling it. But that rich man, he died rich and he left it all behind. He ended up in hell without a penny. And not even a drop of water too, by the way. No, rather... Our Christian lives are meant to be used for the Lord and for His glory in the harvest fields. Don't wait until you feel perfect in order to serve the Lord. 
Successful people often do not feel perfect and some of them never do feel perfect. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Beloved, it's the 11th hour. The Father is calling us. He's calling those that are lingering in the marketplace. He's saying, come and work in my fields. I have work for you to do and I will pay you whatsoever is right. Now maybe you're here today and you're you're still quite young and you, you still figure you've got 40 or 50 years ahead of you and that these things can afford to wait. First, you're going to go get yourself a worldly education. Then you're going to go get yourself a worldly good paying job. Then you're going to go get yourself a, a, a I was going to say a worldly a husband or wife, but no, you wouldn't do that, would you? But, uh, but a husband and wife. And then you'll have children and so on. And then later, after you're you know, in your 40s maybe, then you'll start to serve the Lord. What a mistake. What a mistake. I'm sure there's people here that would counsel you and say, don't make that mistake. There may be someone here that say, I made that mistake. Don't make that mistake. But sometimes we get that idea when we're young, we think we're rich with time. Hey, I got 50 years ahead of me. Well, what if you didn't? What if at the end of this year, either Jesus comes back or you die? Either one, that means that really this year, this is it. The next nine months, because that's all we got left of this year. We've just about used up three months, haven't we? We've got nine left. That means that this year, that's your 11th hour. You are in your 11th hour. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're not so young as you used to be and Maybe you may even be in your fourth quarter of life and you're thinking, well, it's not even worth it now. It's not even possible. I've gone all this distance and I've been very unfruitful. I sure wish I could be fruitful. Listen, don't forget Mr. Honda. Don't forget Mr. Kroc. Don't forget the Colonel. You know, you can be fruitful. You can because the Father can make you fruitful if you'll present yourself for active service in his harvest fields. If you'll, if you'll do it. Listen, I beg you not to finish your fourth quarter in defeat. Now, you might ask, is there really still time to bring forth fruit for the Lord? And I say yes, because I know that God, the Father, holds the future in the palm of his hand. And I know that God, the Father, molds the future. And I know that only he can give you a future. The Apostle Paul thought himself something of a late bloomer. Did you know that? And in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 8, he spoke, of, he spoke of the Apostles. Then he said, And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of, out of due time. The Apostle Paul considered himself a little bit of a late bloomer. He said a couple verses later, that uh, here's what he did with that. He worked his best for the Lord. He said, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. What I'm saying is this. Yes, it's the 11th hour. And yes, we believe that Jesus could come back at any moment the way the world is looking now. Did you know that one of the politicians in the States, Mr. Mike Pompeo there, has publicly kind of alluded that God has raised up Mr. Trump in order to save Israel. If you know anything about world events and what the Bible has to say, what's coming down the pipe in the tribulation time, that ought to make your eyes open up. That even these 
bigwig unsaved politicians are saying things that are making the Christian's ears tingle. Wow! We think that the coming of the Lord Jesus is very close indeed. It's the 11th hour, beloved. But there's still time. There's still time for everyone who will to enter the Lord's harvest fields, enter his vineyards and bring forth fruit. There are things you can do and get involved with that will bring him honor and you'll be paid for it. God will give you the, the wages. He will pay. God is able to make up for your lost time. He's able to make up for any of your wasted time. I've seen him do it and I know he can do it. He can fast track you. Now, sure, maybe there's others that have been in the vineyard of the Lord for many more years, and maybe they will, maybe when Jesus comes, they're, they're, they're going to get many more rewards. That's true. But, folks, the game isn't over yet. The husbandman came into the marketplace at the 11th hour. There was only 60 minutes left, one hour. And there were still laborers sitting around idle. And he gave them opportunity. They took it. They took it. Wow. What a story. I don't know if maybe you're here today and you feel a little bit guilty that you haven't served the Lord like you should have been. Maybe you've let months or even years go by like water under the bridge. And in looking back, maybe you're saying, man, I wish I'd gotten on the bandwagon for the Lord when I was 18 or 15 or when I was 20 or something. And wow, what I could have done for the Lord today. Many of us have the thought that we would love to give a large amount of money to the Lord's work. We say, ah, I just make just a little bit, just enough to make ends meet. You know, it's always been that way. And listen, so many people count themselves off. Do you realize that just by simple tithing over a period of years, you can give a mountain of gold to the Lord's work? You know, every, every decade, you, if you do the math, you figure out what you could give just by tithing. In a decade, it's, it's astronomical. Multiply that, two or three, four decades go by, and in your life you've literally moved a mountain for God. Some of us don't realize, uh, some of us who've been serving the Lord for year after year, and we don't realize the accumulated rewards we're going to get in heaven. We, don't have, we haven't figured it out yet that if you take a rock and you move it one day, and you move the, another rock another day, and another rock another day, given enough days, you've literally moved a whole mountain. And there's rewards for those faithful believers. But maybe you haven't done that. And maybe you're thinking now, oh, it's too late. You know, the Lord's coming back by Christmas. What good is it? I'm telling you, it is good. It is still good. If you will get into the vineyard. If you will get with the program, God's program here. Now, I, I say that to say this. In the days of harvest in Jesus' time, the reapers would go through. And when they were finished, who would come after the reapers? Does anyone know? Say it. The gleaners. The gleaners would come and they would pick up what the reapers left behind. And I'm telling you this. Maybe the reapers have been working the vineyards for decades. And you're thinking, oh, there's, you know, it's the 11th hour. What, what good is it? My friend, you can be a gleaner. You can be a gleaner for the Lord and still get paid for it. You can enter the Lord's service for whatever time we have left and God will reward you for it. The gleaners would follow the reapers and they would pick up the little bits. And when you start adding those little bits, boy, you can come up with a lot. Have you ever heard that, uh, that, that little story, what would you rather have, a million dollars 
or one penny a day for a month that doubles? Have you ever, how many have heard that one? Boy, not enough hands going up. Oh, listen, well, whew, I'll take the penny. I'll take the penny. Why would you want a penny when you can have a million dollars? Listen, you could make it 10 million. I'll still take the penny. You're going to have to go home to do the math. But you've got 30 days, say. If you want, you can do 31 days. First day, you get a penny. The second day, it doubles. Now you get two pennies. You put them together. You say, hooray, I got three pennies. Next day, you get four pennies. So you add those to your three pennies. Now how many pennies have you got? Seven pennies. You could do that for one month, for 30 days. I challenge you to do the math. And it will shock you what, you, what you'll have at the end of 30 days. It will shock you. Be a gleaner for the Lord, folks. You'd be amazed what's out there. I'm sure that you've seen money on the ground as you've been walking. How many have seen money on the ground when you've been out walking? Every hand should be up here. Every hand. Uh, boy, your eyes got to be down more. <laughs> you know, I got a theory that sitting on the ground all over the world are millions of dollars. It's a theory. And I figure someone has to pick that up. And so as I'm out walking, if I see a coin, I'll pick it up. Say, what do you do with it? Well, I'm a grandpa, so I put it in the bank for my grandkids. A little piggy bank for the grandkids. That's what I do with it. I remember once getting, getting out of the car and there was a $20 bill on the ground. And uh, there was no, no one, you know, no one on the planet. <laughs> it felt like so. I figured, well, the grandkids are going to get blessed. So I picked it up. Um, there's money, there's gleanings that can be done. You can get involved and the Lord will really bless you. Even though it's the 11th hour. I've been serving the Lord now for 44 years. Uh, next week, no, in two weeks, is my 44th spiritual birthday and I've been serving the Lord and I've been trying to be a reaper and a gleaner and a provoker and everything I could possibly be for the Lord. And I figure there's, I got some rewards up in heaven. How much? I don't know. I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking it's the 11th hour and I'm thinking what more can I glean? If I can't reap, I'll glean. I'll do something for the Lord until the time is up, you see. I could retire I figure I got enough rewards up in heaven, but that's not the name of the game. The name of the game is beat the clock. And we've only got a short time left, folks. It's the 11th hour. That's what I'm saying to you. Now, in, an, in a church, a church can be a late blooming church. Did you know that? A church can. In many churches, people just want, you know, the comforts and, you know, all of the blessings and ministries and things like that. But when a church gets on fire for the Lord and realizes there's a dying world out there, and they start talking about soul winning, they start talking about missions and supporting missions, well, not everyone in the church can be happy with that. And some in the church may even take exception to that. And may talk to the pastor and say, now, here, here, pastor... I mean, you, 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 every Sunday morning, you're, you're casting out a line saying, if anyone here is not saved, you know, and how many got saved, Pastor? And, and, and every week and every month, you know, you're talking about missions. Huh? Well, what's happening? And we didn't sign up for this. I know, I know that in a soul-winning, missions-minded church, that can be thought and felt. I understand that. But let me tell you a story, and you'll know the story. It happened in 1912. 
there was a famous ocean liner that sank and took over 1,500 people to a watery grave. Does anyone know the name of that ship? The Titanic. Boy, that's a world-famous name now, isn't it? The Titanic. But how many of us know the name of the rescue ship that came speeding at top speed to help? How many know that name? Raise your hand. Well, I don't see a hand. It's called the Carpathia. The Carpathia was the hero of the day. Our story for the Carpathia doesn't start in 1912. It starts 10 years before in 1902 when the Cunyard uh, Shipyard Company built this ocean liner called the Carpathia. A couple years later, in 1905, they hired an unknown sea captain. I got his name written down. I don't even know it. Arthur Henry Rostron. Arthur Henry Rostron. Do you want the job to be the captain of the Carpathia? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay, you got the job. And Arthur's job was to sail that ship from New York to England, back and forth across the Atlantic. And that's what he did faithfully. And the Carpathia's top speed was about 14 knots. 14 knots was something like 26 kilometers an hour, something like 16 miles an hour, something like that. Not really fast. And he would sail it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That was his livelihood. That was his job. Not too exciting. Back and forth, back and forth. Year after year, for seven years, people came to appreciate the stability and the smoothness that uh, Alfred would sail this ship back and forth, back and forth. Until one night in April, April the 15th to be precise, just after midnight in 1912, there's the Carpathia with 700 passengers aboard, sitting parked for the night amidst the icebergs of the North Atlantic when an important SOS signal from the Titanic was received over its Morse code receiver. That's SOS. Now, according to company rules, the radio operator on the Carpathia, his name was Harold Cottam, and his shift was finished at midnight. And at midnight, he was supposed to take off the, the earphones and unplug the thing and go to bed. But Harold worked a little overtime to about 12.25. And he was doing a little extra work to get it done. At 12.25, he was unlacing his boots, getting ready for bed, when he heard what he thought was a distress call coming over his Morse code. And he went and grabbed and put on the phones, and sure enough, it was a distress call, the SOS call from the Titanic. Had Harold gone by the rules, he would have been in bed, asleep, and would have missed the SOS call. And by the way, situated much, much closer to the Titanic was the SS Californian. It was much closer and could have gotten there probably in about half an hour or less. But the radio man aboard had gone to bed. He was asleep and never heard the SOS. Right away, Captain Rostrom was notified and immediately he set a course toward the Titanic. Now, while sailing in the dark 
Rostrom had to avoid hitting at least six icebergs as he made his way to the Titanic. In order to get more speed into his ship, he put on extra men to shovel coal into the fiery furnaces. They called these ships SS for steamship. And uh, he, he got more men to shovel coal to produce more steam to get more speed. He then reduced the, heat, the ship's heating system. So people in the cabins felt cool. He reduced the heating system and diverted that steam back into the engines for more speed. Now the Carpathia's maximum speed was 14 knots, but Rostrum got it up to 17 knots. 20%. He got it up to 31 kilometers or 20 miles an hour, which was unheard of for that ship. He poured it all he had. Rostrum gathered his officers together and gave them several different orders to prepare the ship for as many passengers as they could possibly take on. Now listen, what if some of those 700 crew had come up to the captain and said, Captain, Captain, we didn't sign on for this. We want to go to England. We were in New York. We expect to be in England. We have no time to, to divert and to look after this Titanic and its people. Hey, hey, let them look after their problem. We paid good money to get to England. Now what if the captain had said, well, you know, you got a point there. All right, helmsman, turn the wheel. Let's divert now. Let's, let's steam toward England and, and just let them be. And if Rostrum had done that, the British High Court would have found him guilty, tantamount to murder, by letting those people die. But no one seemed to care because they realized this is more important than going to England. They put their plans on hold. They put their voyage on hold to go and be a rescue ship for all of these people. And they found something like 705 people floating in the the uh, boats and, and, and in the water, they rescued 705 people. Then what they did was they turned the Carpathia around and went back to New York. They didn't keep going to England. They went back to New York. You know, I think they held a ticker tape parade for Arthur. I believe that in 1919, he was given the order of the British Empire. In 1926, he was knighted as Sir Arthur Rostrum and made the commander of the order of the British Empire. And in 1928, he was made Commodore of the Cunyard Fleet for whom he worked. You know, sometimes you, you get an opportunity and you just got to take it. It's the 11th hour, beloved. We got maybe an hour left, so to speak, to serve the Lord. Will you do it? Will you do it? Back in 1959, I think it was, Pastor Leon Ellis wrote the words to a hymn called Win the Lost. He said, all the fields are white, they're ripened unto harvest. Yet so quickly comes the night. Christians must get busy. There's so much work to do. Here's an urgent task awaiting you. Souls are crying. Men are dying. Won't you lead them to the cross? Go and find them. Please help to win them. Win the lost at any cost. And when we get to heaven, we're going to know that any cost we paid to win the lost was well worth it. And the Father is going to reward us so much. Now, 
If you'll see in verse 8, when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. Now the last were those that worked the eleventh hour. And when they came, they that, that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny, a full day's wage, even though they only worked an hour. Why? Because that's what the husbandman, the farmer, wanted to do. That's what he felt was right. And it was in his heart to bless these people who were willing to go the last hour. You see, it's the same for us. It's the same for you and me. It's the 11th hour. Maybe you didn't think so much about joining Soul Winners University. I suggest you think again. I suggest you think again and get involved with Soul Winners University. Come this Saturday. Listen, get on board. Serve the Lord. Start tithing if you haven't started tithing. Be a tither. Sacrifice Sunday is next Sunday. What sacrifice can we make that's, that's too big for the Lord? That's too big, too costly to help us win souls. There is no sacrifice we can make. Oh, folks, let's win the lost at any cost. It's the 11th hour. We need to stand for prayer. Let's stand to our feet.